Hi, I'm Sarah. I have an awesome husband and three amazing stepdaughters. Marriage and parenting is already a juggling act, and blended family relationships are even more messy and fragile. We won't always get it right the first time, but if you're looking for encouragement, you're in the right place. Thanks for joining us as we grow closer as step families. Welcome to His Kids, Her Kids, Episode 2, Food and Step Families. Today we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, food, snacks, meals. We're not talking much about desserts, but I love this subject. Before we begin, I want to extend an invitation to you to please send questions, stories related to siblings, step and otherwise. This topic is so huge that I expect there will be multiple episodes on this topic in the future and would love to hear what you have to say. The other day, one of my stepdaughters asked me what my favorite cheese was. I thought about it for a little while and I said, well, to be honest, I think the, my favorite cheese ever was any of the cheese that I ate when I lived in China. She said, why was that? What was so great about that cheese? I said, well, I had this shortage mentality because Chinese people don't eat cheese, and I had been told when I moved there that I wouldn't find cheese. So anytime I did have cheese, I, I bought way more of it than I needed, and I ate it like it was like this rare treat, you know, oh, crackers and cheese, or a grilled cheese sandwich, like I am the luckiest person in all of China right now eating this, you know, rare treat. And it just reminded me of that time in my life when so much of the food that I was eating was so unfamiliar and what an adventure it was. And there was so much that was fun about it, but there was also so much about it that was unsettling. I remember I ate so much more McDonald's than usual <laughs> when I lived there for that same reason. I just, I just wanted to feel like there was some connection to home. My time in China really cemented for me how valuable food is to our sense of well-being and belonging. We might like to think that we're not obsessed with food, thinking about it all the time, eating it all the time, but the truth is we are biologically programmed to eat. And food is so huge for us. There are so many emotional connections when it comes to food. All of your senses are involved in the experience of eating food. So much time is put into preparing, shopping for, paying for food. And food can be really challenging for families, period. Especially for stepfamilies. I think about the stories I've heard about the picky eaters. I even heard about a college student that collapsed and they found out that she'd been only eating chicken nuggets and like maybe it was Diet Coke for months on end and and had a like a, a breakdown like taken to the emergency room we have to eat at least two times a day if not three times a day or more and food is universal and yet there's more varieties of food than i think i mean even more varieties of food than clothes or languages the bodies and souls of kids need food and experience food as a very tangible form of being cared for. So talking about food, I want to chunk it into three categories. We can talk about family, freedom, and fulfillment. 
So before we even get into food itself, I want to set the stage. I would really encourage you to plan on the experience of having a family mealtime as often as possible. Now, when we say that, we think of dinner as being that mealtime that we're most likely to all sit down together and have as a family, which is great. But if for some reason that's not working for you because of your schedules, pick another meal. Do it another time. Do what you can do to have that family meal experience. As you're looking at your schedule and you're seeing, well, you know, we have these extracurricular activities, we have sports, uh, we have conflicting work schedules. Whatever time you do have to sit down at the table as a family, absolutely milk it for what it's worth. Create a tradition, family Sunday mealtimes, or whatever it is, and have it be something that your family looks forward to and, and is predictable. I would also encourage you to stretch yourself and have it be a little bit more homemade than is in your comfort zone. If you feel like you don't cook hardly anything at all, get some hamburger helper. If you only get fast food, then get bread and you know make sandwiches. If you're always ordering in pizza, then get some ready-made pizza dough from the store and you know have a make-your-own pizza night. Putting more of yourself into the meal communicates to your family how much you care about them and their needs and their preferences which goes right into the next topic, freedom. Give your family freedom to have taste and preferences when it comes to their food. I think I think about that, uh, and maybe it was from a TV show, or, or maybe I've just heard people joking about it, where a parent is saying to their child, you're going to eat it, and you're going to like it. And I think about that, and it's just, it's just so funny. Even if you do decide to die on the hill of, you know, them eating the food. You can't make them like it. And thinking that by forcing them to eat the food, that means they're going to like it is very unlikely. If someone made me eat something that I didn't want to eat, it would make me dislike it that much more. So the first time that I ever ordered shrimp and grits in a restaurant, I thought it was amazing. And I've been chasing that experience ever since. Every time I'm in a restaurant and I see shrimp and grits on the menu, I'm tempted to order it. But unfortunately, every time that I've ordered it since that first time, I have not liked it. It wasn't anything like that first shrimp and grits experience in that restaurant. And I don't even remember where that was or how, how to go back there and, and, and have that experience again. I don't even exactly remember what was so different about those original shrimp and grits. It just definitely didn't feel like I was having a recurring experience later when I have since ordered shrimp and grits. I think if we can extend grace to members of our family to have a similar experience when it comes to tasting our food for the first time, we can understand that it's okay, that it's very unlikely that when they eat your macaroni and cheese, that it's gonna be 100% like the macaroni and cheese they've been used to eating. A tip that's really helped me as a step-parent are three little words, more for me. So you make a meal, 
you serve the meal and a child says something about like they don't like this or it's not what they were expecting and you can say, hey, that's fine. More for me. By saying this, you're communicating. So this is good stuff, you know, just so you know. So you're not getting into a fight with them about like, what are you talking about? This is delicious. Carrot and raisins and apples and pineapple juice like in this apple and carrot and raisin salad. Like this is the most delicious thing ever. How could you not like this? It's, you know, so good for you and you should try another bite. Like it just being like accepting their opinion and and letting letting them have that freedom. Saying like, this I think it's good and I don't need you to think that it's good too. I think that it's good and I like it so much that you saying you're not going to eat it, that's fine because, hey, more for me. The other very important message that I feel like these words communicate are you are free to dislike it because I don't need you to take care of me. By me providing you with food, I'm not doing it for the praise and admiration and encouragement from you. I'm doing it to care for you and meet your needs. So if that's not serving this purpose, that's okay. I'll serve you something else that meets your needs. But this food, hey, more for me. So as much as I love saying more for me, I don't want to be saying it constantly because then they don't like the food <laughs> that I'm serving them, right? So I recommend incorporating feedback and food choice lists into your family food patterns. As much as possible, give your stepchildren a voice in what there's, they're going to be eating. If your schedule is such that you, know, you have them 50% of the time before they're coming over to your house, you know, say like, hey, what, what meal ideas do you have for next time? Or, hey, I'm getting ready to go to the grocery store. Any requests? So there can be, you know, individual food item requests and also meal meal requests. Then when you're able to, and, you know, it works out, they had the food in the grocery store, so forth, you're able to say, hey, you know, I'm making your request. You know that you know how you said you wanted to have tacos this weekend. I bought stuff. We're making tacos. Like how exciting and encouraging that is, and what a powerful message that what you want matters to me, and I will do what I can to meet your needs, to feed you comforting and familiar and enjoyable food, and not only you know, but I want to hear what you have to say about what you would like to eat. Plus, it saves you all the hassle of making something and then having to go more for me. And, you know, hey, I guess you just want a peanut butter sandwich tonight. So incorporating their requests as much as possible, even asking for a list, like, hey, like, let's think about breakfast. What are all the different things that you like for breakfast? And then when they say, you know, cotton candy, ice cream, candy bars. You could say, okay, let's make the list longer. What else do you like for breakfast? <laughs> so um, I want to talk about, okay, so feedback. I mean, if you're anything like me, I definitely wasn't cooking for a family before I got married. So even though I like to think I, have, I had experience cooking and I knew how to cook for kids and people, 
I personally learned how to cook uh, when I was a teenager growing up cooking for my own family. I'm the oldest of six kids. And so my first meals that I was cooking were for a family of eight. So there's definitely some unique things about cooking for an audience like that. And so although I, I like to think I wasn't a complete stranger to the whole experience of cooking for kids, at the same time, there's definitely some differences. And this time I had an Instant Pot. I definitely didn't have an Instant Pot 15 years ago when I was learning how to cook for the first time. So you're doing new recipes, you're working with new appliances, uh, you're learning their tastes. To some extent, you might have very different tastes than they do, so you're trying to cook something spicy. In my case, I'm trying to cook something spicy for the first time when before, like I never even had spicy sriracha sauce or uh, hot sauce or you know any of those kind of things weren't in my weren't in my cupboard. But now you're learning to cook new things, new foods. You're not just thinking about cooking for yourself or cooking for the people you were cooking for before. You know you're incorporating new preferences into your meal prep. Maybe you're doing something new like HelloFresh or one of those other food delivery services. Maybe you're cooking with your spouse and there's new, there's new dynamics. Rather than resisting all of those differences, embrace them and use them as an opportunity to receive feedback and do things differently according to the feedback that you're getting. Ask for the feedback rather than making the child feel like they have to give the feedback without it being asked for. Uh, which also could mean that it comes across in a way that you also don't like hearing. And asking for the feedback is also sending, similarly to before, the, a very powerful message that I really care about your experience. I really care about you, about what you like. I want you to enjoy this food. I want our family mealtime to be something you absolutely look forward to. So not only would I recommend you ask for and incorporate feedback into your meal preparation, but I would also encourage you to also provide choices. And what do I mean by this? So the first time I ever heard this idea, I was living with a family when I was single and uh, my friends Amber and Bill. And Amber and Bill had five children and something I noticed is that they never had struggles or arguments or tension or stress at mealtimes. Now, I wouldn't say that I did either growing up, but I was aware that a lot of people did, that a lot of people feel like their children are picky eaters, that mealtime is, is a struggle, and there's a lot of fighting and struggling going on at mealtimes. And I remember asking Amber, you know, what's what's the deal with this? You know, you're like, I see this happening and I'm confused by it. She said, we decided that our job is to provide them with healthy options. And we want our children to learn how to choose for themselves from those healthy options. So they never asked their child to eat any particular thing that was served. And they always provided an alternative to the meal in its entirety. So for example, I'm not saying that you're becoming a short order cook and if they don't like the spaghetti that's being served for dinner, they can ask you for mac and cheese. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying something like a peanut butter sandwich or, you know, a non-peanut butter and jelly sandwich 
or a boiled egg or something that you feel like you can have regularly on hand so that it's not an issue of not having it. It's not creating the burden of you having to make multiple meals and you feel like it is still teaching them to consume healthy things. Having that be always an option if they don't want to eat the meal that's in front of them. And that gives them a choice besides just choosing to go hungry. This was further emphasized in my foster parent training. And I remember them talking about how challenging food can be, incorporating foster children into your home and talking about using choices and using a consistent alternative as being very empowering for foster children. For foster kids, so often it's, it's an issue of needing to feel that control needing to feel like they don't just have to eat something that was thrown in front of them. All right, so I've talked about family and I've talked about freedom. Now I want to talk about the fulfillment side of food. So when it comes to servings, I hate food waste. And I really want to teach my stepchildren to listen to their body when it comes to being satiated, when it comes to feeling full. So I choose rather to give small servings of food and give them the opportunity to ask for seconds, thirds, fourths, and have that direction. Rather than creating a situation where you've put a lot of food on their plate and now you've painted yourself in a corner and you're going to either be throwing that food away or, you know, you're you're just wondering, you know, what's really going on about about this food that's still on their plate. Snacks and ruining your dinner. Let's talk about snacks. My husband and I decided early on that we wanted to always or almost always say yes to snacks. So rather than expecting kids to wait for two hours or even one hour until their next meal, they always can have a snack. But part of that freedom of always saying yes also comes with the need to, for us to feel like this is a healthy enough snack that if it does ruin your dinner quote-unquote, ruin your dinner, that we're okay with that. So for us, snacks are raw vegetables, raw fruit. Maybe that gets dipped in a protein, like apples and peanut butter or vegetables and hummus. And we save crackers and potato chips and pretzels for sides to meals rather than being something that you sit and eat only as a snack. A final thought about fulfillment So Karen Purvis, in her book, The Connected Child, talks about how children find sucking and chewing very calming. And although this naturally happens during eating and meals, there's other ways and times that you can incorporate this in their life in order for them to experience the biological calming that comes with sucking and chewing. The tools that she uses are chewing gum and like lollipops or suckers. Now, I am not a candy and gum person, especially with kids, so this is definitely like out of my comfort zone, and I can't say this is something that that I do with my stepkids, but I understand that there are some children who really benefit from being able to suck on a sucker while they're doing homework or chew on chewing gum as they're getting ready to go to you know, the soccer practice that is stressful for them. 
So I just wanted to share that, that tip with you and also point you to the resource where I got that from. All right, so what does all of this look like? I'm going to give you a scenario and, and tell you how like I see this all fitting together in a scenario where a child is coming back from school and is asking for a snack. So they ask for a snack and the step-parent says, yes, yes, I will make the snack for you. I will meet your needs and fill your body and give you that experience of family and freedom and fulfillment. Sit down at this table and let's talk about what you'd like to have for your snack. Let's, let me give you some choices. Uh, so let's do uh, a sandwich. Do you want to have a peanut butter sandwich or a tuna sandwich? And the child says, I'll have a peanut butter sandwich. Great, says the step-parent. And they say, all right, do you want crunchy or creamy peanut butter? And the child says, ooh, crunchy. I hate crunchy. Crunchy, that's nasty. And the step-parent says, more for me. All right, so you want creamy. All right, so we're going to get the bread out and the creamy peanut butter. And like, all right, next choice, you want jam or honey? And they say, I want jam. I'm like, okay, you know, I got strawberry jam or grape jam. And I go, I want strawberry jam. Okay. And even if the child is like, oh, you know, I, I only want a little bit of peanut butter or I want a lot of peanut butter, even saying like, oh, well, why don't you come over here and watch me while I make this? And then you can tell me if I'm doing it right. Like, oh, that's, that's great. Oh, I love that. And now you're interacting with them and they have so much voice into what they're eating and they're definitely receiving the message that you care so much about how they feel about the food that you're making for them. So you make the sandwich and you say, okay, next decision. Do you want me to cut it or do you not want, you know, or no cutting it? They're like, I want you to cut it. And you're like, okay, you rectangles or triangles. And they're like, triangles and they're thinking I've never been given so many options in my whole life for a snack this is awesome I get to make all these decisions and then you sit down at the table with them while they're eating their snack and while they're eating you say I'm getting ready to go to the store and we're almost out of that strawberry jam what kind of would you like me to try a different kind of jam would you want me to get more of the strawberry jam and they're like, oh, you know, I really like uh, apple butter, actually. And you're like, okay, I'll get, you, I'll get some apple butter. And maybe they say, next time, would you cut the crust off of my peanut butter sandwich? And you're like, oh, absolutely, buddy. I'll cut the crust off. You know, have you ever had the, I don't know. Like, <laughs> or they say, I really, sometimes uh, my mom makes an open-faced sandwich and she makes a smiley face with the jelly. And you're like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds really cool. Would you like me to do that sometime? And then they say, no. Like, okay, I get that. Thanks so much for helping me make you a peanut butter sandwich just like you like. I mean, like the truth is I'm getting emotional just telling the story and thinking about how something so simple can just mean so much. I mean, so in the last episode, I talked about the trust account and the idea of every interaction with our child being an opportunity to invest in this relational account that we have with them. And you just take in what could have just been one deposit of, you know, making them a, a snack and you've turned it into like 10 deposits of listening to them and communicating with them, asking them how they feel and what they want. And it's just becomes 
like such a big experience. And then you think about having that experience and doing it every day when they come home from school and you make their snack. It's, it's just truly profound. So I remember one time when my husband and I were still dating, my stepdaughters, they weren't my stepdaughters at the time, but they said, uh, what, what is dad's favorite food? And I said, tacos, obviously. And they were like, no, it's pizza. And I'm like, what? How can this be? We're getting married. And I know what he likes. He likes tacos. And they're like, hey, dad, dad, tell Sarah, what's your favorite? More favorite, pizza or tacos? And he said, pizza. I was like, what? I'm marrying this man. I thought I knew what he liked more. I thought he was going to say tacos. Since then, I have learned that my stepdaughters were 100% correct. My husband loves pizza so much that we actually say in my family that pizza is his love language. Now, pizza may or may not be a love language in your family, but I absolutely guarantee that food is a love language. So a final thought before I leave you on this subject of food. So something that I learned in my foster parent training is that some children have experienced food scarcity in their life. This may be something you're aware of with children that you care for, or it may not be. But a huge telltale sign for food scarcity in a child's history is hoarding of food. Rather than have this be something that this become the battle that you fight, this is the hill that you die on, I would really encourage you just to assume that food scarcity is in this child's history and meet that need rather than say, no, 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 this is not, you know, we're going to have bugs in your room or Rather than turning it into an experience that they associate with shame or being embarrassed, think of it as this is something they need to meet an emotional need. So give them individually packaged food that they can keep in their pocket, in their room, and just say, hey, when you, when you eat you know, these packages of peanuts, I will replace them, um, but I do need you to tell me when you've eaten them so that I can clean up. You know, I can make sure they're thrown away properly or whatever it is that would be appropriate for your child at their age. Other ways that this might impact your child is really needing to eat a lot more often than you could even imagine. In foster parent training, they taught us that that these children need to eat every two hours. And I was like doing the math. I'm like, I'm going to be like, making food all the time. (laughs) Uh, And the way they respond when they're hungry also could have a huge impact on their behavior. Dr. Karen Purvis talks about this in in her book that I've mentioned, and she says to really celebrate food, to take them with you to the grocery store, to show them food. When when they come in your care and they're like, what are we going to eat tonight? What are we going to eat tomorrow night? What are we going to eat? You know, and there's wanting to hear every little detail about every meal that, you know, is coming up to really go with the flow of that, to do the extra work, to have meals prepared, to know what you're going to make and be able to tell them, oh, you know, I I know what we're going to eat tomorrow and assure them you are going to be fed you don't need to be worried about food. And these are things that we can that we can do 
even if this isn't part of our child's history, having a meal schedule, having predictability when it comes to food, eating consistently at the same time, and providing snacks as often as possible. We can calm our children and give them positive emotional and physical relationships with food. Well, I look forward to hearing how this changes your life, how you incorporate these ideas. I want to hear about some really great ideas for the choices that you offer your children and your own quips that you come up with when your children say discouraging things about the food that you make. Definitely reach out to me. Go to the website www.hiskidsherkids.com and let me know how this plays out for you. Keep growing and take good care. <laughs>